Part of the process of purifying a person who had tsaras was that the coin would take some of the blood of the Asha Mitzayra and put it on the Mitzayra's ear, on an area called the Tunuch. Rashi explains to us where that is. It's the middle section of the inside of a person's ear. It's just that the way that Rashi explains it actually seems to raise more questions than answers. Rashi says, I don't quite know what the word Tunuch means, but there are those who interpret it and explain that it means tendron, which raises a host of questions. Firstly, Rashi has already explained Tunuch previously in the Torah. Secondly, if there is an issue with it, how come in between when he explained it in Parshas Tetzaveh and when we're going to learn about it in this parsha, it was already mentioned in Parshas Tetzaveh and Rashi said nothing about it there. Why does he use a strange expression? It is not known to me, instead of just saying, I don't know. And why is it that Rashi doesn't just say it is called tendron in Old French, as he normally would? That, together with a host of other questions, indicates to us that actually Rashi is not concerned about the meaning of the word as much as that you shouldn't get the wrong interpretation of how we arrive at that meaning, because Rashi needs to look for pshat, and the most accessible explanation that's given is not according to pshat. It's found in the Medrash. We'll also learn a very powerful lesson about what Saras is all about, a lack of complete vital dedication to Hashem, and therefore how come the purification process requires this specific involvement of the ear in order for somebody to become pure again. In our Pasuk, the Pasuk in our Pasha, which says, The Pasuk says that the coin will take some of the blood of the Asha Matsur and put it on the Tnuch of the ear of the person who's being purified. Rashi takes that single word Tnuch, which of course is an unusual word, and explains it means the middle part of the inside of the ear. And then he says, this is the strange language, this expression, what the actual linguistic meaning of the word tenuch is not known to me. And those who do comparative translation, they call it tendrus. So there are a few things we have to understand. We all acknowledge that the word Tanuch is an unusual word that does not appear too often in the Torah. But the truth is, this word has already appeared in two different places prior in the Chumash. In Parshas Tzav, just a couple of weeks ago, and prior to that in Parshas Tzav. Not only is this not the first time we encounter the word, but Papashas Tetzave, Pirish Rashi Tevazoi. Rashi already told us where it's located in the anatomy of a person when the word first appeared in Pashas Tetzave. And he says there, He says exactly where it is, this hard part of the ear inside. And he says that it is called Tenrus or Tendra. There's different uh, versions of Rashi, but it's very similar to what he's saying of here, Tendrus. That raises a question of him. If Rashi has already explained the word previously, why is he explaining it again over here? That's not Rashi's style. He relies on interpretation he's already given us. Now, either way, it doesn't make sense because if for whatever reason Rashi was dissatisfied with the explanation he gave back in Parshas Tetzave, so then it doesn't make sense. 
then Rashi should have explained it when it appeared the second time in the Torah in Parashat Tzab. So it's strange. He explains it in Tetzabe, says nothing when the word is repeated in Tzav, and now feels the need to explain it again in Metzorah. So either it does need a second explanation, or it doesn't. So the Chayra Hayef Shalataris Pashtos, maybe a simple explanation would have been, Sham Beparashat Tzav, Hiktin Rashi Betchilasin, and Kolin Azed Pashtos Amiluim Pirashti Bevate Tetzabe. Rashi introduces the whole discussion in Pashtos Tzav and says, anything that has to do with how they inaugurated the Mishkan, I've already explained in Pashtos Tetzabe. So then it's simple, right? Then Rashi could say, I don't have to explain what Tanuch is because I already explained it in Tzavan. I've given you the reference point that everything we're discussing over here is already information we know. And you could argue, okay, maybe here it's a brand new subject. We're no longer talking about the Kohanim being inaugurated. Now we're talking about Metzora. It's a new subject. Maybe now we have to explain what Tanuch is. Strong answer? Not really. Read the words of Rashi here. And you'll see four compelling reasons why he's not just simply saying, okay, let me review what you already know. Saying something completely different. Different. Sharei. So the reasons that you cannot use this explanation, you have to say Rashi is clearly saying something else over here in this interpretation, is number one, besides the obvious things that are strange in this Rashi, the most glaring question would be, why explain something that you have already explained? It's not what Rashi does. And let's say for whatever reason it is that Rashi did have to explain it a second time, fine. So then Rashi could have just gotten straight down to the most succinct explanation, Tanuch equals the centerpiece of the ear. Like, for example, the boyhen, which is either the thumb or the toe. And Rashi previously in Parashas Tetzav explained exactly where it's located, whereas in our parasha he just reminds us that it's either a thumb or a toe. So why doesn't Rashi just give us a short interpretation here as well? But besides that, besides those two obvious questions, why repeat yourself and why go to a lengthy explanation of something you've already explained, Hine, besides that, the two other questions, look at how Rashi has said things over here. It's completely different and with added information that he hadn't mentioned in Pasha's Tetzave. Aleph, first he says, the expression linguistically of Tanuch is not known to me. What do you mean it's not known to you? You should have said that already in Pasha Tzitzabah, surely. Number two, he then adds, And the poistrim, which is a very unusual expression, as we'll see a little bit later, they the ones who explain what it means. Which therefore leaves us with the following conclusion. Rashi needs us to know something about the meaning and how we derive the meaning of the word Tanuch. And we need to know it in this parasha. It wasn't relevant. It wasn't a question. It wasn't a challenge for us in Parashas Tetzaveh. Now that we're in Parashas Metzorah, for certain reasons which we'll explain later, you may have thought differently about Tanuch. 
And that's what Rashi has to address. Dafka in our parsha. However, before we can get there, there are a series of other questions that we have to ask about what Rashi has said over here, particularly about the language. So four questions in, in, in particular. So we have to understand, What exactly does Rashi mean when he says the interpretation linguistically of the word Tanuch is not known to me? If what Rashi means to say is that there's nothing in the actual word Tanuch that naturally means middle section of the ear, there are many words in Torah where there isn't an obvious correlation between the word and what the word represents. So look, look straight away when it says part of the blood went on the boy and on the thumb. So we don't know that boyhen has a linguistic relationship with that part of the anatomy, and Rashi is okay with it. So why now is Rashi suddenly concerned that the word tenuch doesn't seem to have a direct meaning that describes the piece of anatomy? So what? I mean, even in English, what a femur, does it tell you what it is? No, we just accept that's what it is. Question number two. Rashi is not afraid to say when he doesn't know something, except the way he said it in this Rashi is different to how he normally says it. Why does Rashi use the expression that the linguistic connection is not known to me? It's a completely unusual expression to use. Why doesn't he say like he normally says? I don't know. Or something like that. Next question. Gimel. The fact that he says the poistrim, whatever they are, we'll find out later. They call it tendros. Surely what Rashi is telling us, as he often does, is that this is the French, the classical French of his time for a tenuch. It's called a tendros. And if that's the case, Now, we have plenty precedent of how Rashi describes something that is in classical French. So just say it. And in classical French, we call it tendros. Be pretty far fetched to say we have found a word that Rashi did not know in classical French and he had to go ask the language experts to help him. That's too much of a stretch. So, why doesn't Rashi just say it in the normal way? This is called tendros in Old French. And lastly, Let's say, for whatever reason it is, Rashi doesn't just simply want to say this is what it's called in classical French. Still, Why does he use such an outlier description of these linguistic experts? Why doesn't he call them the commentators, the, uh, the compilers of language? As we often see when he refers to linguists, and he says they explained or they compiled. So why hapoisrim? What does that mean? So to understand all of this, we have to recognize that Rashi's issue over here is not just simply the meaning of the word tunuch, but rather the fact that you as the reader 
might have gone to explore what the word means, and you may have come across an interpretation that doesn't suit the pshat. And this would only have happened to you here in this parasha. It would never have happened in parashas Tetzaveh. That's why Rashi has to say, let me catch you quickly and explain that the word tenuch, although we all know what it means, all commentaries concur on which part of the anatomy it is. How we arrive at that conclusion, I need you to understand according to pshat, not according to what you may find on your investigations. What Rashi is indicating of here by saying, it is not known to me. Who's me? Me, Rashi, the interpreter of Pshat. I don't have a way to know in Pshat how you get the word Tnuch to an ear. And in doing so, Rashi has to say, I have to show you that I'm not explaining in the same way as the Medrash Toyas Kahanim on this Pasuk explains it. Because as we'll shortly see, the Medrash shows a correlation between the actual word Tanuch and the physical part of the anatomy in the middle of the ear. So actually what Rashi is telling us over here is there is an explanation in the Medrash. It does correlate the word and the anatomy. It's not going to satisfy me in Pshat. So I'm steering you away from that explanation. Now the first question we'll have to ask ourselves is why would you be looking there of all places if you've got Rashi to look at? How come Rashi has to dafka steer you away from the explanation of Torah's Kehanim, which is so unlike Rashi? Rashi usually does not first disqualify an interpretation and then give the pshat. Rashi usually just goes straight to the pshat, and if there happen to be other interpretations which don't work in the pshat, he ignores them unless there's a reason to highlight them. But he certainly doesn't look first to disqualify another explanation. Rashi usually doesn't explore the other alternatives which he cannot apply to the pshat. So why here? It's because much of what Rashi interprets in Vayikra, generally and specifically in Parashas Metzorah, we already know comes from Torah's Kahanim. So we already by this point know that Rashi bases much of his commentary on Torah's Kahanim. As Rashi has already said a number of times in various commentaries in this parasha. In fact, if you have a look, the previous parasha, sorry, the pre- previous pasuk, Rashi quoted the Torah's Kahanim, gave part of the explanation, and then left it with an etc., which means go look it up. Now you're going to look it up and you're going to find, obviously in your studies, you're going to find the Torah's Kahanim on this pasuk, and Rashi wants to say, no, don't, don't look that far, because that's not going to work according to Pshat. Okay, so now, when a student recognizes that Rashi knows that Tanuch refers to this part of the year because of Torah's Kohanim, 
יבוא לחשוב שרש"י נקי גם סבור בתוס כאן בהסבר הדבר. אוי דס הקשר בין תנוך לגודר האמצעי. So then it's logical to say, well, if Rashi's source is the Medrash Torah's Kohanim, then the reason provided in Torah's Kohanim, how we know תנוך is that part of the ear, I'm sure Rashi agrees with that. So Rashi therefore has to immediately say the word Tanukh is not clear. The fact that a Tanukh is this part of the ear, we all agree on that. But the meaning of the word Tanukh, the Medrash Torah's Kohanim has its explanation. It doesn't work in Pshat, therefore it's not clear in Pshat what the word itself means. That immediately neutralizes two of our major questions. Now we understand why Rashi uses what's an unusual expression instead of saying, I don't know. He knows what a Tanukh is. He's saying the Loshon, how the word Tanukh comes to represent that part of the anatomy, that's what's not known to me. And and obviously why he didn't have to discuss it in Pasha's Tetzabe, because there's no Torah's Kahanim on the book of Shmois. So it wasn't something that you would have even thought to do. You would have looked in the Mechilta. Or, or the, wherever. So Rashi is not going to say, I don't know what Tanukh means, because he does know what it means. And it's in line with what the Medrash Teres Kanim says. So Rashi is saying, I get where the word refers to. I don't get how that word could work for me as an interpreter of the Pshat, as a description of that part of the body. Don't see anything in the word tunuch that means, that represents, that describes that part of the ear. That's why Rashi only discusses it here, not in Tetzabe. As we've already mentioned, Rashi is not looking for reasons to dispel other interpretations. But more specifically, Plus, if you look at the Midrashim, on Parashas Tetzave, nobody there grapples with the meaning of the word Tanukh. So Rashi doesn't have to say, oh, don't look at it. Don't consider their explanation, because there's nobody explaining it. So what does the Midrash Torah's Kahanim say first? And then next, why does Rashi feel it doesn't work with Pshat? So let's see what the Torah's Kahanim says. You might think that where is the blood supposed to go from the Asham Metzorah? Inside the ear. Talmud Loimar, because from the word Tanukh, you might think that Tanukh is a variant of the word Toich, inside. So put the blood inside the ear. Talmud Loimar al Nuch. Therefore, the second half of the word Nuch implies something which is what? Not inside the ear. Ah, so when you hear the word nuch, which the Torah's Kalim understands to mean uh, something which is a higher part, meaning higher, more to the outside of the ear. So now I know that the, the blood has to go outside of the person's ear. So now you'd think it should be maybe all the way at the top of the ear. That's how the, the Medrash understands tunuch, that tunuch means toich nuch, inside the upper part of the ear. What is that practically? That's the hard part just inside, next to the hole of the ear, just inside. And then the Mephoshim on this Medrash Teres Kanim explain what's going on over here. 
The Medrash is not saying that Tanuch is a standalone word that is the anatomical word for that part of the ear. Ella, rather, it is a word comprised of two different words. What are the two different words? Firstly, it relates to toich, which is the middle section or the inner section of the ear. You'll say, how can you have toich with a nun in it? Well, the truth is there are various places in the Torah where we have words where the nun appears and disappears in different forms of the word. So it could be tenuch and still mean toich. And the second part of the word, nuch, which comes to the word noch, or related to the expression in Amois, which is choymas anoch, that's what they call in uh, builders' terms a plumb line that you suspend from the top of a wall in order to find the gravitational center of the building. So because it's built, uh, because it's placed at the top, so the word noch means top. Take the two words, toich and noch, and put them together, says the Medrash, that's how we know the exact location. The word tenuch does not actually name or label that part of the ear, but it gives us the clues which part of the ear the blood has to go. Toich plus noch together. You're going to say, one second, you've lost the nun out of tenuch for the word toich, and you've lost the Aleph out of Anoch for the word Noch. Okay, as we've already noted, these letters do sometimes disappear and appear, especially in Aleph, because an Aleph is a silent letter. So it very often appears and disappears from words in the Torah. So we find various examples throughout Tanakh that an Aleph may either appear or disappear, tough may appear or disappear, and when they're added to a word, it's usually to turn the word into a noun. And there are various examples, right? So you get the word anoch, uh, which Rashi himself explains in, in, in the Sefer Amos, or you get the word tvuna, which Rashi explains comes from the word bina, so the tof comes in, etc. Various examples. It's not unusual to have an aleph or a tof inserted into a word somewhere along the way. So the word is noch, and in that passage it's got anoch added to it. Or here it's got tof added to it, tunuch. So the Torah's Kahanim says, let's put it all together. We have two possible ways of reading this word. We could read it as toich with an extra nun. We could read it as noch with an extra tof. Either way, losing the aleph, getting the tof. Either way, you put the two interpretations together and you get the exact location of where in the ear or on the ear this blood has to go. So Rashi wants to say, that's a beautiful explanation, but it's certainly not pshat. But now Rashi has already shown us that sometimes you do get nun stuck into a word. In the case of the Anofa in Prashashmini, which is a heron and it's supposedly a volatile animal or bird. So there Rashi says it comes from the root af, which is anger, and the nun appears. Ah, so you see, Rashi is open to the fact that in pshat, letters can be added or, or, or removed from, from words in order to give us an interpretation. So how come here is Rashi not agreeing with the Torah's Kehanim? So, 
פירוש השורה שעל פי פשוטו של מיקרא יש לנו טבע שנכתוב לנו איתם בתוס וסייס מסוים וסנון ולאיתם בלעדיהו. If Rashi does agree that sometimes words get letters or lose letters, why is Rashi not saying <coughs> that the Torah's Kohanim's explanation of Tanuch fits the Pshat? So the cause of Rashi, that's what Rashi wants to make crystal clear to us. He wants to say such things exist. However, in the case of this word, Tanuch, I have no evidence that this does actually fit into the Pshat of which words get a nun or lose a tof, as the, or get a tof or lose an aleph, as the case may be. For a brief moment, we'll quickly look at a linguistic grammatical explanation of this, in fact, related to the word we've just introduced, the word af. Why doesn't Rashi accept this explanation? Rashi's view is that if you have a word, sometimes use the nun as an example, sometimes with a nun, and sometimes without, it will actually mean different things depending on how it is spelt. And he has proof. Let's use that word that we just refer to, af, which is anger. Is it anger? Is af actually anger? So the Pasuk says, at the time after the Yidin crossed the Red Sea, and they sang their praise to Hashem, Az Yashir, so what does it say? With the, the, the breath, so to speak, or the wind of your nostrils, the waters piled up. Says Rashi, what does it mean? It's the two nostrils of the nose. What's apecho? Your nose. Not your anger. Your nose. So what does Rashi say? Rashi says the Torah is being metaphoric to make it relatable for us. Imagine there's a king who's really angry and he's puffing out of his nostrils. So it's that metaphor that the Torah is using. In other words, how does Rashi see the word af over here? A nose. That's what it means. Likewise, when it speaks about smoke, so to speak, rising up in Hashem's, what? Apoi, his nose. Likewise, the Pasuk that says, from the breath of his nose, they will be destroyed. And he goes so far as to say that Hashem uses the expression when he says, I will extend my breath, because when a person is angry, they tend to breathe faster, more shallow breaths. When a person is calm, they tend to breathe longer, healthier, deeper breaths. So Rashi sees the word af very literally as meaning a nose. And it says you can actually apply this across the board throughout the Torah whenever you come across this word af. So now what, what has Rashi shown us? That yes, there are applications of the word af that mean anger. Like the name of the heron where the nun is added. Oh, you add a nun. Now the word means anger. And even if you want to say that there's Ruach Apech and all these in Charoin Af that all indicate anger, that's not from the word Af. That's from the adjective or the, uh, the, the joined word. Charoin Af. Ruach Apech. That's what makes it angry. But the word Af without a nun and without any accompanying word literally means a nose. 
That's how Rashi sees it. Rashi does not believe that the same word will be spelt differently. If it's spelt differently, it has a different meaning. So by the same logic, therefore, as Rashi says, according to Pshat, it doesn't follow that Toich could be written Tenuch and still mean Toich. Maybe in a Medrash, not in Pshat. So in the same way as Rashi feels that according to Pshat, it's a real stretch and it actually doesn't work according to Pshat to say that Toich and Tenuch are the same thing because Rashi would say they're not. By the same token, he says to say that the second part of the word Nuch means height is also far-fetched because it doesn't mean height. Even besides the fact that there's switches in the letters, right? Anoch is with an Aleph, and here Tnuch is suddenly a Tov. So how did that happen? But besides that, let's look at the meaning of the word Choymas Anoch. The word Anoch does not mean height. The word Anoch means a plumbing line, a plumb line. It's a piece of the construction material. It's a measurement that they use. It doesn't mean high. It just happens to be placed high in order to do its job. So it's this line that is used to ensure that the wall is actually upright. The only connection to height is that that's where you place it. You dangle it from the top of the, of the wall. But it doesn't mean height. So the pshat of nuch or noch also doesn't mean height. Therefore, Rashi cannot accept the interpretation of the Torah's Kohanim as being pshat. So therefore Rashi does not agree that you could say that the word Tnuch or Tnuch means high because of the correlation between Nun and Chof and the word Anoch because the word Anoch itself doesn't mean high. And of course you've lost the Aleph and you've replaced it with a Tov. As far as Rashi is concerned none of this can work in Pshat. Toich and Tnuch is not Pshat. Anoch and Nuch is not Pshat. Goiva is not a meaning of the word Nuch. Therefore, unlike his normal style where Rashi doesn't look to Dafka exclude a particular explanation, here he has to. And that's why he says, therefore, I don't know how the word Tnuch came to represent this part of the body because it doesn't work with the Toich-Nuch combo. So how did it come to represent this part of the body? That will help us to understand why when Rashi does explain what it is, he uses the word poistrim, not commentators, not compilers, poistrim, interpreters. We know that word, we've heard it before. Or not even as he explained to Nuch in Pashas Tetzava, where he just said, they call it tenros. Here he specifies the poistrim, who are these people, what do they do? So, of course, the, the origin of where we come across this word poistrim is from those who interpret dreams. As we already know from the famous stories of Yosef, So you had the royal butler who had the dream of these three coils of a vine. And, and, and Yosef said, three coils equals three days. That's interpretation where you make a common thread between two things that don't appear to be common. So 
or like in Paro's dream. Paro dreamt about three bulls, and Yosef explained them as, sorry, seven bulls, and Yosef explained them as seven years. Look what happens in an interpretation. In the dream, they didn't see any indicators of time. Not three days and not seven years. Nevertheless, that's what Yosef had to interpret for them. He had to make that correlation. They saw the number and items associated with the number. They had no idea what those items represented. An interpreter tells you what it means, draws something across from its metaphoric state <coughs> to its applied state. In other words, an interpreter is somebody who looks to find the commonality between things that don't appear to be common. So now that Rashi has told us, I don't see anything in common between the word Tanuch and the part of the ear that is referred to as a Tanuch. I don't see the connection. Because, as we've just described, Rashi rejects the thought that Tanuch would be related to Toich or Nuch, as the Medrash had said. Rashi says, that's not Pshat. I don't accept it. So therefore, I don't see a correlation. He says, but there are people who this is their job. That's what they do. They find the correlation between things that don't appear to correlate. And they explain that a tenuch is a tendrus. Those linguists who do this job of poister interpretation, where they connect things that don't appear to be connected, uh, maybe according to the explanation, they can actually say toich nuch the whole business. So they say those people who interpret they say. In French, it's called tendrus for a similar reason to why in Hebrew it's called tenuch. Now you can actually start to hear the connection. Because what's a poiser? You link things that don't initially appear to be connected. And then you start to show the connection. So listen, tenuch, tendrus. The T-N sound is similar to both. Both of them are pronounced similarly. tendrus, nun, vov. What's a pisron? You connect things that didn't appear to be connected. Well, here that's exactly what the poisonum are doing. They're saying, tenuch sounds like tendrus. It's no accident. Languages are related. In fact, languages originate from the original language. Before Migdal Bovel, it was one singular language, which was the divine language, Lashan HaKodesh. And then all the other languages became corrupted versions of it. So no surprises that we'll find something in another language that has an audiological link to the original language. Now you're going to ask, Now you might say, one second, this is Pshat. You call this Pshat? That you're taking a word from 12th century France and saying that it has the same linguistic origin as a word in Lashon HaKodesh in Torah centuries before? So yeah, actually. Guess what? Rashi himself has done this. In Parashas Dvarim it says, 
There were two different nations who had different names for Har Cheremoyim. Perish Rashi. Sneer, that word sneer, which the Emorim called Cheremoyim, Hushelek Veloshain Ashkenaz Veloshain Kenan. Rashi is very comfortable to say that that word sneer from Torah language is the same as the words for snow in German and in the Canaanite language. So Rashi is saying it very clearly there, that you have a contemporary language, contemporary for him, where the language is, you can hear phonetically, the same as the original Chumash. Even today, modern German and modern English will use words for snow that directly relate to that original word, sinir. And it's not a surprise because all languages derive from the original holy language. No surprises. Therefore, Rashi is happy to use the poisrim who tell us that this word tendrus is phonetically linked to the word uh, tenuch, and that's actually the connection. So he cannot use the interpretation of the medrash that tenuch comes from toich and nuch because that's not pshat, but he certainly can use the phonetic reality of the world that we live in. Can you hear the correlation? Tendros is the biological name, perhaps, for that part of the world in classical French. There you go. That's the connection to Tenuch. So now that we've resolved Rashi and we understand the strange language that Rashi has used in his explanation over here and why it is that he has to revisit the word even though he had explained it in Parashat Tetzaveh, let's understand what this all means spiritually. Rashi. Let's drink some of the wine of insights that Rashi offers. Kabbalah explains, and it's discussed in Hasidus, that the cause of Tzoraas is where a person loses connection to Oyr HaChochma, to the energy of Hashem's Chochma. And the idea is because we know very well that a person who has Tzoraas is considered as if, they have, as if they're no longer alive. And the Pasuk says, your Musa people die without Chochmah. In other words, if you don't have a connection to Chochmah, that in itself is a death. That's Kabbalah. In Chassidus, it's explained in great length. The, look at the Torah on this parish, for example, and what this represents in our Avoidah. And it explains as follows. When a person has a very deep contemplative understanding of godliness, which is what we call feminine or motherly intellect, i.e. bina, deep understanding, that stimulates in a person this incredible yearning to leave this world behind and connect to Hashem in the greatest way possible. So it stimulates a love of Hashem to the point of wanting kolois nefesh, that your neshama should fly out of your body and connect to Hashem. Moichin da'aba, whereas if a person uses the paternal intellect, which is chokhmah, a higher dimension of intellect linked into chokhmah, that's That brings a person to complete submission to Hashem. So there's no longer an I would like to and I yearn for. There's absolute submission to Hashem. 
That impacts a person to shoiv, come back into the reality of what Hashem wants from me in this world. Not the ratzah yearning of what I want in terms of my connection to Hashem, but the shoiv reality of what does Hashem expect of me, and let me go ahead and do it. Torah mitzvahs. Now, negoim, the affliction of, of tzaraas, boi mitzad chokma, is the result of a person losing touch with that chokma element, that capacity for bitul, that capacity for shoiv, application in this world. What does Hashem expect of me? When a person lacks that incredible dedication to Hashem, which chokma gives you, which means you don't know how to translate the enthusiasm and yearning into practical application of Torah mitzvahs. You get too caught up in the wistfulness of wanting to be some kind of a spiritual giant instead of focusing on well, what does Hashem want me to do? Another mitzvah, learn more Torah, help another Jew. So then it is possible if a person only focuses on my understanding and therefore my yearning, because there's my in that, because there's me in that, it could precipitate a feeder for negative spiritual energy. So that's why, for example, when a person is over-enthusiastic about their davening, that could actually precipitate a sense of self. Wow, did you see what a davening had? Even if you don't say those words, what you think in your head, did you see what kind of a davening I had? And in fact, it could even spill over into a person becoming overly enthusiastic about things that are inappropriate. Shock horror that such a thing could happen. How could it be? You're davening. You're doing such a wonderful job of dedicate, dedicating yourself to Hashem. You're, you're enthusiastic. You're singing. You're showing such passion. Who would have thought that that could breed something which is completely unhealthy? But it could. That's Tzaraz. That's why how do you heal Tzaraz? You need the help of a koyen. No person can heal themselves. Even the greatest tzaddik. Because one of the things that a koin achieves is to re-establish connection, bringing down that chokhmah awareness into a person's reality. Chassidus goes to this in great detail, but effectively, the koin reintroduces that awareness of bitul to Hashem, and that neutralizes the negative or toxic energy that could have been produced from a self-absorbed, even though it was never intended maliciously, it wasn't intended to be arrogant or self-centered, but it just went that way because a person didn't have enough bitul, so that produced these lesions on the skin, this growth that shouldn't be there because there's a spiritual growth that shouldn't be there, and it's all neutralized by reintroducing chokhmah into the system. Who does that? The koyen. Now we're going to see that the koyen has to, there are two steps in the process of the koyen um, helping a person to heal, and those two steps are critical to understanding what it means in our avoida. So there are two details of how the koyen helps the person to heal. Firstly, there's v'huva el ha-koyen. The Mitzorah has to be brought to the koyen for examination. And then there's the process where the koyen goes outside of the entire camp to help the person to heal. So why do we first have a huva el koyen? First you have to come to the koyen. Because it's not going to be enough to heal this person by bringing the force of the koyen out to where the person is. Bringing the chokhmah to the person to try and bombard them with a sense of bitl. It's not going to work. So what do you need to have? The first step is come to the koyen. Meaning, 
התיקון, במקום הנגויים ברצו קלויס הנפש שבו מצד מוכן דימה בינה, כדי שיתאימו לעניין השויב שבו מצד בכנס הקרן החוכמה. How did this all begin? Because the person had this incredible ratzoi, they had this incredible yearning, which is a good thing. In and of itself, it's very healthy to yearn, to want to connect to Hashem. So take that yearning, bring it to the koheim. Direct it in a direction that it will translate into action. Don't get caught up in inspiration. Start to funnel that inspiration to culminate in action. Once a person gets that right, once a person is facing the correct direction, once the Ratsoi energy is pushing towards actually doing what Hashem wants, then you can go Then you can bring in the bitter energy and completely neutralize the possibility of any negative toxic energies. But you first have to start to reorient yourself. And it's these two steps that are alluded to not only in the Psukim, as we've just seen, that there's the Huva Elakoyen and then the Yotza Koyen, but you see it in Rashi as well. What does the Pasuk say? The Koyen has to put some of the blood onto the wit. What part of the person? The ear. Why the ear? The Koyen represents the channel for bringing the awareness of the need for Bittal into a person's life, and the ear represents the process of Bina, because Bina, which is contemplative understanding, happens in the same way as hearing happens, step by step by step. You can only hear one word at a time, one concept at a time. Bina is exactly like hearing. So now that we understand that this moment in the purification of a Mitzorah is supposed to represent that bringing the Ur of Chochmah, the bitter capacity to the person's ear, to the, to the part of understanding, so now Rashi says on that, and I don't know where you get the word Tanukh from. That's why Rashi says, something which is not known. Why? Because the healing actually comes from a reality that's not known to the person. We have to bring the koyhen in. We have to bring something that's beyond the person. Something that's outside of their relatable reality. And that's actually why Rashi puts it into the passive language. It is not known because he's alluding to the fact that this is something that will happen to the person as opposed to something that the person will work out on their own and proactively do. It's something that has to impact you. You have to be open and vulnerable to it to allow it to impact you. But Obviously, in order to be open to the healthy effects of the Ora Chochmah, you first have to fix where the problems lie in the contemplative process of Bina. As we have a general principle in Judaism, whenever you do Teshuva, the Teshuva has to tackle the same area of experience where the Avera took place. So if a person did an Avera, let's just say, speaking badly of other people, it doesn't help for them to go say, okay, now I'm going to give a lot of tzedakah. You've actually got to tackle speech as part of the Teshuva. So here, where did the problem lie? In contemplation. So how do you fix it? You've got to fix Bina. You've got to get into the Bina and fix it. That element Rashi alludes to when he uses the word poison, which we've already explained, are the people who do cross-referencing and, and expl- explaining things comparatively. 
שתוכנוי על דרך הנ"ל בפיסנך לאימוס, שישנם בייזינים הנראים בחיצלס כשנים זה מזה, והפיסנו גילוי פירס תוכנו הפנימי המקשר ממאכתא. We already explained that what is a פיסרן, what is a פויסר, you have two things that don't appear to have any collation between them, and now we show you the connection. So how does that apply to us? Yes, that's exactly what has to happen over here in this person's rehabilitation. They've got this incredible yearning and enthusiasm, and it's pushed them to want to become more, which is great, except that the focus shouldn't be on what I want to become. So I need to take something that seems to be disconnected from what Hashem wants. Here's what I want. Here's what Hashem wants. Poiser, I've got to make the link between them. That's what Rashi alludes to. How do you heal Tsaras? You've got to align the person's enthusiasm with Hashem's expectations. Once you do that, then that brings the Urachokma into the person's reality, even into their ear, into their contemplative process, into their mind, into their intellect. Until eventually in the next passage, you can already start to put this influence onto the thumb and onto the big toe, implying that it translates into real practical action, even the most basic action. And that's what neutralizes Negoim Tsaras, and then a person is pure. It's pretty clear for us. Maybe we don't have tzaras in the practical sense today. But what we certainly have is people in today's world, it's very common, get very caught up in rhetoric and ideas and philosophy and meditation and enthusiasm and simcha and a whole lot of things that sound so kosher and holy. We just have to remember they require absolutely a very clear direction from what Hashem wants from me. Bittel, to do what Hashem wants, rather than the version of Judaism makes me feel inspired.